0: Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you with your mind, with your body, with your movement, help sort yourself out. And that's what we do in today's episode with my home girl, Belisa Vranich she's lovely. She is a clinical psychologist. She is the author of several books. Uh, The most recent one was Breathing for Warriors. She is the founder of The Breathing Class. She wrote the book Breathe. She is all about that respiration and her background, as I had mentioned, is clinical psychology and has transformed over the years into teaching people how the heck to get some semblance or grasp of awareness of what they're breathing means. Your breath, there's a one-to-one relationship. Uh, the way a person breathes is indicative of the way that they feel. And so we can start to change our state through our breath. We can start to get greater mechanical efficiency out of our daily life, meaning pick up heavier shit and uh, not get worn out while we do it. So your breath is a pretty big deal. Folks have been saying it for a long time and we're still saying it but the modern mold that we exist in has a tendency of misaligning these physical bodies, which ends up creating decreased efficiency of the way that we respirate. And when that happens, uh, you find out more about it in this conversation. Thank you guys so much for reviews on itunes thanks for reviews on the alignment book if you want to learn more about breathing you can check that mofo out we got a whole chapter referred to as nose breathing i think it's called tuning your engine and we go deep into the gear system of breathing and various different important points i kind of tried to cut out any of the fluff that you don't need, and just include the the meat and potatoes of what you need to know to breathe more efficiently in there. All right, let's get to it with the conversation about breath with my girl, Belisa. Here we go. Thanks for tuning in. Introduction! <laughs> Podcast commences! I was looking for something deep and metaphoric to start the podcast, so people will believe in my Venice shaman guise of spirituality you make VC and wisdom.
1: T-shirts. What kind of t-shirts? Oh, Venice would be V S.
0: Oh, VS. Venice shaman.
1: Venice shaman. That's
0: like a real thing. Is it? I mean, there's a lot of them. Oh, oh there is oh, a lot of them. Oh yeah. I
1: just didn't think there was a group like a. I mean, like I've had that group.
0: experience before, actually, where I will go, you know, I'll eat a handful of mushrooms or go to do some kind of ayahuasca thing in Peru or something like, which I've only done one time. So I by no means I'm like trying to give myself street cred. But I have been in that mindset where I so passionately wanted to share that with people. Mm-hmm. And so my mind in that moment will kind of shift towards like, oh God, like people need to experience this. And so I kind of I understand the Venice. Well is that shaman. a pusher
1: or is that a shaman? <laughs> well, that's just it's just like in that depends if you're charging
0: in it. that in that instance, I just I just kinda I'm trying to have trying to have compassion for everybody's home. Yeah, place, yeah. Including the Venice shamans in the world. <laughs> that could potentially be causing great destruction to, to... the
1: Peruvian shaman?
0: No, no, no. Well you, you get in that situation and you start taking people into their shit and because you have limited experience and what you saw was beautiful it was colours and it was God and it was all oh. of that. And then you go into somebody else's world and all of a sudden it goes into all the things that you know more about than i do and it's like oh this is real shit the mind is complex yes
1: Yes. and you don't i mean there's a whole section in breathing you know philosophy about the ethics Mm. of being a breath worker and just because you've had a few breathing experiences doesn't make you you don't know have the experience to be able to lead a group or to be able to deal when someone does have a not so pretty trip or has a lot of questions how,
0: so. how is it that, that breathing can start to stumble into some of those like psychedelic realms what is that that bridge relationship
1: you know what michael pollan did a great job in how to how to change your mind yeah. big book uh, a yeah. big dense book explaining that so i'm definitely Not the the expert, you know, in that at all, but is that it puts you in an an altered state of mind. So a trance state of mind, very similar to the way plants might. Mm. And Stan Groff obviously talks about that as well. He's holotropic meditation and breathwork of... uh, how the breathing can put you in a very similar state but obviously it's a it's a shorter trip and it's one that you can control and but it is it is really similar it can be really similar without taking something which is nice because now a lot of people are doing it who might not do plant yeah a plant type trip
0: it's, it feels like if you allow the kind of front facing like ego layer in quotations yeah to wear itself out long enough through whatever the the, the practice was or you know there's a guy called marvin marvin sullett who was a, a rolfer and so rolfing is like a form of body work it's a thing that like i went to school for blah, blah blah and but marvin sullett was a rolfer and he started taking people through this thing called standing awareness mm-hmm. and so and when you come to see him for your elbow thing or neck thing or whatever it was be like instead of putting elbows into your thoracic spine and doing all that muscle testing he's like okay i want you to stand yeah Just stand there. Yeah. You know, and you stand there long enough, the body starts to kind of, instead of going into that like military posture, like whatever you think is appropriate, all of a sudden you start to get tired of Mm -hmm. that. you're like, okay, I'm tired. Okay. And then you kind of go into like a more you Mm -hmm. depiction of yourself. And then all of a sudden from there, you're like, okay, I'm still standing. You know, and that that front-facing layer gets tired even more. And then all of a sudden, maybe your your shoulder starts turning in a little bit. Or maybe your jaw starts to tremble a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like if you just give a person enough of that, uh, if you allow that layer to kind of tucker itself out behind that, I think there's, like, magic. Oh, magic and,
1: like messiness and and all kinds of history and emotions, it's just it's murky, which is why so many people don't want to go there. But yeah. you can just put someone on their back as well. I mean, that's what Freud did, or uh, Freudian analysts, is that you can get someone to start dropping their guard by having them on their back, which is a really vulnerable position. Mm. Having them looking up at the ceiling, which there is nothing there, you know. So, you have to sort of be start thinking about what's in your brain and what are in your thoughts and then not even be able, being able to see the therapist so that if you talk long enough, um, you're probably going to get to something that's interesting and useful mm. eventually. Mm.
0: So what's your experience with, why is breathing such a big deal for you?
1: <sighs> to me, it's a big deal because it's been missing. So I tend to look at it from a very mechanical point of view and Uh, For me, we all agree it's really important, and we all post things on Instagram about how important it is, and we wear t-shirts that, you know, uh, that are pretty and say things about breathing, but then we're actually doing it in a way that's not optimal, that's not actually good for our bodies and our brains. So that's why it's interesting to me is that um, there's this entire missing piece of, well, are we doing it right? Um, We're doing it good enough, but we do a lot of things as humans, you know, this as, as a body person of like, we do things good enough to be able to make it to the corner or make it to our cars, yep. but are we doing it well enough to sustain us in a healthy way for a hundred years? No. <laughs> mm.
0: So what's the missing links in the, the breathing tactics of modernity? Like how do modern people <laughs> breathe?
1: So, modern people breathe not using their diaphragms as much as they should. Mm. So, it's, if you think about it historically, and this is where I totally geek out, is that in the history of man, we have never had such inhibited diaphragms as we have in the last 40, 50 years. Like, Do I have statistics for that? No, because I haven't been around long enough and people haven't been, well, they have been measuring the diaphragm through thoracic excursion. But if you look at the way people breathe now as compared to how they used to breathe and and the body, you look at primitive man, bigger diaphragm, More breathing happened through the back and through the sides, wider nostrils, bigger lung capacity. And now because we're upright and upright and seated and maybe upright seated, carrying a little bit of extra weight and really bracing our middles because we're stressed out, the breath has moved to another part of the body and it's not not happening the right way anymore.
0: So where does it move to?
1: So it moves to the top of the body. So you start breathing with auxiliary muscles where you're ventilating more the top of your lungs than the bottom. And unfortunately, your center of gravity then changes as well. So if you think about the amount of hip injuries your older adults have, that we're not teaching them to breathe diaphragmatically, which then helps them feel more stable and be more stable, is is just appalling, really.
0: So where, how does a person recover full capacity of, of breath? And I also want to touch on, Uh, the relationship of our autonomic nervous system and, you know, just the way that we feel our our felt state and the actual manner in which we're breathing, because it, there is a, you know, it seems as though there's a one-to-one relationship there. Mm -hmm. So that relationship, what the hell is that? And how does one start to gain some semblance of, of awareness or control to be able to take that relationship back into their own hands?
1: Well, you, you have to integrate the psychology of it. So just going and having an adjustment. So for instance, I have people come and say, well, yeah, I went to my physical therapist and they put their fingers underneath my rib cage and sort of pulled to help my inhibited diaphragm become less inhibited and stretch or so on and so forth. That may be a good adjustment, but it's temporary, especially if you're supine. Right, because then you turn and you're standing again, and you're going to go back to whatever habits you have of a breathing person that's standing up and down.
0: Supine being just laying on your back.
1: Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I used to mix it up with prone. Now I've got Prone, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, you're prone if you prone surf, <laughs> you're on your belly. There yeah. If you're
0: supine, there's probably something you can rhyme with that or something like that. It's on your back. <laughs> on your back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if
1: you don't, in, if you don't integrate the psychology, the why the breath changed as per your story, you. You won't actually get the mechanics right and continue to autocorrect, to self-correct until you're breathing well again. And I think we see that in health all the time, is that if you don't have understanding, some kind of understanding of why the behavior changed to begin with, or what the myths you had that that uh, have you believe this certain thing, then you're not going to change it. So, yeah. And I mean... I worked with, we were talking about this before, I worked with public education campaigns for a while, which was teaching people how to care about things that have to do with their health and their mental health. So why you should have more eye-to-eye contact with your infant, which... Poor infants nowadays get less eye-to-eye contact than they ever have before just because of technology, but also, you know, why smoking is bad for you, um, that schizophrenia is, is a brain disease, not uh, not multiple personality or not a personality disorder, things like that. So with breathing, to get someone to start understanding what they're doing and how it's hurting them, you have to educate first and you have to actually listen to their story. So What happened to them growing up that the breath changed from one that was functional and optimal to one that is dysfunctional? So not only is the place they're breathing from one that's not efficient, but now that has changed their pacing. So they're breathing maybe with auxiliary muscles, too fast, too shallow, and that's affecting their their moods, which we'll talk about, but you have to ask them, they have to actually realize, Oh, I did change. So yes, I remember getting poked in the belly and being called fatty. Yes. I remember looking at my, you know, GI Joe or, you know, whatever mm, superhero I had and, and thinking that strong meant sucking in my gut and bracing and puffing up my chest. I remember watching my dad breathe. I remember, you know, all these different things that happened to you that then changed your breath. Oh, I remember getting hit in the rib and then not wanting to breathe too deeply because it hurt there. So on and so forth. So you have to integrate the psychology to get someone to change.
0: Or I remember I'm replicating or repeating the history of my dad or mother's relationship with their parents because perhaps they had an abusive relationship and, when you come home, you kind of brace your breath and you don't have that full yeah. exhalation where you walk into the door and you take a breath in and you kind of gather the sense of the room, then you're I'm yeah. Gone.
1: You have to trust the environment to be able to inhale. Which is why right now and
0: exhale entirely
1: and exhale entirely because when you're entirely exhaled, you're in a very vulnerable position. You're in a complete exhale. So both things are put you in a vulnerable. Yeah, it's much more comfortable to the Inhalation would
0: be like information gathering. I would imagine it's something that I notice with myself. Anytime I walk into the room, when I take a hug, I hug from somebody. If I don't want to bring that person in, Mm. I'll like. I won't breathe. Yeah. And that's like, well, this is not a yeah. hug I want to be a part of, but it's just some social formality. Yeah. Thank God for coronavirus. I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> you know, it's. So, I thought
1: you were a hugger. I thought you do a hugger. I'm a, I'm a big yeah.
0: time hugger yeah. if I want to hug you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't want to hug you, I yeah. don't want to hug it. <laughs> 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 well, you'll hold your breath. But that's, I think that, <laughs> I think that in those situations where we're uncomfortable, we'll hold our breath. So you go into an airplane that you think might not be have safe air. For some reason, you hold your breath. You're sitting next to someone. You don't like their vibe. You're not going to be taking big inhales and exhales. You're, you don't like the vibe in a room. You don't feel safe in a room. You're also not going to be taking yeah. huge inhales or exhales unless you're doing your power pose and you're trying to overcome that or have people think that you feel comfortable. Then you'll just power pose, you know, your way through it.
0: Yeah. More that. Yeah. More. Where that becomes really interesting to me is, you you can draw that out beyond like I think most anybody could have that experience where they hugged some person maybe they had bo or the you know whatever it was it was just like and kind of <laughs> give them, like the awkward top in the yeah. back yeah. you know so you see that from a very logical like oh, I just want to they smelled funny I didn't yeah. like it you know yeah. but I think there's there's deeper mammalian brain reptilian yeah. actions going on there where it's like oh I didn't want to bring that yeah. environmental stimuli those conditions into this. Yeah, into this skin bag, into this, yeah into this, my skin bag. Into, yeah. yeah, into this organism.
1: Think of a church hug. Yeah, church hug has no hips to it. There no hips. should, there yeah, should yeah, be no, my, no hips keep in, my, in keep my church. my pee, pee out of there. <laughs>
0: but so, so where that gets really interesting is, is so most people I think could buy that, but then. The next level up of that would be like, okay, well, now how do I breathe when I go into the room? Most people can buy that. Just notice people listening like, next time you walk into a room, you will take a breath in. Mm-hmm. That is the, the typical tendency. It's like mm-hmm. your little stages of reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. You might examine the room a little bit, depending upon where you're at. I remember when I was in uh, high school, we'd always have like drunken, reckless parties, and I would always analyze the best exit strategies for cops. You know, so that's ah. like just an, an extended, that's my reptilian mammalian yeah. brain yeah. saying how, do I, how the hell do I get out of here yeah. when the predator comes to get me. Yeah. You know, so now expand that. Okay, we can agree with the house thing probably for the most part because you'll notice yourself do it. You know, so then what <laughs> no, about I, feeling I, safe I, in your life?
1: I was at those parties. We had those same parties. yes, yeah, 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 so yeah. we had them in football fields yeah, with kicks. Yeah. yeah, it's the best. And then you just had to run. And most of the part cops of were the
0: evolution part of growing up. Part of the evolution, learning how to be predator prey relationship. All this shit goes back it's to fun. yeah. It's all evolution. It's all it's all in there. you're, yeah. you're operating on millions of years of evolutionary Running. patterns. <laughs> you know, and so so extending that conversation beyond, I think most people will agree with the house part, with the hug part. Now, what about feeling safe in my life? What about feeling like I belong? here in this body, you know, on this street, you know, and then from there, if I don't feel really at home, a part of like the the global tribe, community tribe, familial tribe, then perhaps I will limit that, that breathing capacity, which will end up feeding back into the way that my autonomic nervous system functions, the way that I produce my neurochemistry and my hormones and all of that. And I perpetuate that pattern. And now I start recreating that belief system because now people see me as being that type of individual it kind of cowers their shoulders and maybe their spine kind of goes scoliotic and they kind of hide in there and now people see oh that's that person he's easier to steal from they're easy to pick on they're easier to kind of you know shuffle aside They'll, it'll make me feel stronger by pushing that person down that reaffirms your perspective in the world and now your breathing pattern is fucking deep
1: it's deep and <laughs> Own it. and i mean honestly like yeah i giggle at this but that was so well said that was so well summarized you might want to you know replay that and slow it down because it down. was really slow good but sometimes the breathing what happens is that you brace and then the breathing changes that's the subtlety is most people don't change their breath they don't think about changing their breath but they will brace their bodies and then the breath changes so i talk about muscular corsets and emotional corsets hmm. and sometimes you have both but if you do that, that often makes you feel better, like having the um, strong core. But it needs to be flexible. It's just we get stuck with the strong and we get stuck with the bracing because we're constantly walking into the room. We're constantly walking around in places that don't feel safe. So we're always braced and we never let go. And the inhale has to be expansive or else you're just stuck with this little tiny breath, really tiny, fast breath. And, yes. yeah. and
0: you learned at some point if you were a guy or a modern girl, at one point, if you were like in the Renaissance or something like that, or back, you know, hundreds of years ago, you might have learned it's sexier to have a fat belly because that's an indication they have resources. Yeah. But the modern world, more of like a nice, healthy, brown slave body, is more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you're out there, yeah. like you have resources, yeah, to get exercise, yeah that's like a whole another level it's like oh wow like damn like you've not only have you figured out the financial game but you have bonus time to go out and play paddle tennis or like hire a personal trainer like wow I'm attracted to that but in the end it goes back to that mammalian part of you that's like who's got resources Mm -hmm. what can you know who can I build a family with and Mm -hmm. build shelter and have offspring and all that stuff
1: there's a study you know that says that men during recessions tend to like curvier women
0: Mm, like financial recessions
1: yeah oh interesting yeah yeah
0: why is that not
1: not hair related not hairline recession
0: (laughs) why is it that i should have that why is that Uh, you know explanation um, for this during
1: during a recession you have a feeling of that there's not a lot of abundance right there's there's a some sort of feeling of there not being enough of so if you you're more attracted to someone who
0: i'm thinking like like tna yeah you're saying you're saying i am saying tna too Okay, just yeah. T N A
1: is that the financial recession makes T N A and voluptuousness more attractive? You want because juice? It's a lot. You're yeah. thirsty. You're thirsty. <laughs> angry. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> That's naughty. Whatever. <laughs> wow. yeah.
0: Huh. yeah. I mean, there's like kind of two two conversations. One is just interesting the origins of attraction, but then the other part that is interesting is the modern version of attraction is in a soft belly. The modern version is like a, a chronic six pack, which is you know essentially like. A person that's stuck, the same thing like you were describing, the chest puffed up and all that, like small belly, that's a person that's chronically stuck in an inhalation. You know, they pull themselves back, yeah. and so they don't have that full, a healthy body is able to span, the, the, the pendulum can swing all the way to complete looseness and all the way to, to, to like dire tension. You know, it's like, well, it's like a brick wall, and then oh, it just turns into gel. Yeah. Like that's the healthiest body. You know, and so what we've been sold is that the healthiest body is the one that's stuck in in brick yeah. formation, yeah. And then that's a, it's a it's a cultural breathing pattern that we're yes. experiencing.
1: It's totally cultural, and when you say that, you know, that span is that. The breathing IQ is exactly that. It looks at thoracic excursion. So I ask people to take Could you define that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's um uh so thoracic excursion is how far your ribs move out on the inhale. Mm. So the breathing IQ looks at thoracic excursion and then it looks at the narrowing of the rib cage as well, and it's it turns into a number, which then turns into a grade. So now we have this concept, this is a little vague, of of full deep inhale and exhale, and we can actually measure it. Because often when you say take a big inhale, you'll see people go to that puffed-up chest, narrow belly, right? That's not – mechanically, that's not a good deep – that's not actually a deep breath. So with the breathing IQ, what we do is actually – Measure at the bottom of the ribs that the inhale be a wide, big number, and that the exhale be a narrow, smaller number. And the bigger you can get that inhale and exhale, the bigger difference between the two, the healthier, the better the breath is.
0: Why is that Type of breath mechanically not the most effective.
1: That's the most effective breath.
0: Well, yeah. no, but why is why is one more effective than the other? Is what I'm asking.
1: Because the one where you don't have a lot of excursion tends to be an apical breath. So if you're not moving, your ribs are not moving. It means you're moving your shoulders. So if you're not using your diaphragm to breathe, which means there's that expansion and contraction of the middle, yeah. then it means you're probably using your neck and your shoulder muscles, kind of using your traps to pick up. Your why is that actually? Why is
0: that actually bad? At all? So.
1: You are. You have to take more breaths.
0: And what does apical mean?
1: Apical is uh, I'm up and down. Saving people. Of right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> like, so how do you spell, <laughs> it? Do you spell <laughs> try to listen? I want to a- type it. A, a-, a- Y A. Y- a- Predictive. Ape a- predict
0: a- <laughs> lickle. That's not right. <laughs> Shit! I lost the whole track of thought.
1: Damn this podcast. <laughs> 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 so it's so apical is is a vertical breath. So oh. I changed it to vertical. I just renamed it vertical because vertical breath is exactly what it feels like. You breathe up and down, and that's most of us breathe up and down. We've just been culturally educated that a, a good breath is up and an exhale is down. That's not right. It should be inhale, expand, exhale, narrow, just like any animal on the planet does. So when you take an apical breath, when your middle has been so bound and you're not using your diaphragm, you're going to be breathing with your neck and your shoulders. So your auxiliary muscles are going to be the ones that are working. So your neck and your shoulder muscles are auxiliary muscles. When your main breathing muscles, your diaphragm and your intercostals get tired you will go up to your auxiliary muscles and it's okay to do that if you're you know working out really hard and running or whatever and those get tired that you start using auxiliary muscles are fine we do that with everything i I
0: describe them as like your nitrous boost
1: your nitrous boost i like that
0: when you're up in the auxiliary guys and it's like okay like you're you know you're competing for some metal thing yeah all of the foundational yeah mechanics it's like i just need that extra little a little bit and more then you start and the shoulders guess, yeah, come up and then you yeah. get you know you kind of it may seem a little collapse if yeah in a, in a way but you're kind of squeezing the last little bit of juice but it's not you gonna can. it's not sustainable
1: well the problem is that what happens is that our main breathing muscles are not as strong as they could be so we go up there too quickly so they should be there for that last little squeeze of juice that we need, but we're not using our diaphragms well, or our intercostals, or our exhale muscles well, so we revert to auxiliary muscles much more quickly than we should. Yep. So we would have, I mean, the research shows that we would have much better endurance if we worked out our breathing muscles, the right ones. And that to me is fascinating, is that we actually have studies where researchers, researchers, the ones that come to mind are McConnell, another person named Mitch Lomax out of the UK, have taken people and worked out their breathing muscles and showed that their performance has changed up to 18%. Mind-blowing. Like, who doesn't want 18% better performance in their endurance sport? Yeah. So that apical, that vertical breath is using muscles that were never meant to be primary breathing muscles. It doesn't actually fill the bottom part of your lungs as well as it could be. And you actually have to take more breaths to get a satisfying amount of air in your body.
0: Yeah, well, the, the largest part of the the lungs is down at the bottom. Yeah. So if you're just filling up, what's the, the conical portion at the top card is a fancy term for the little top part. Just that you Jill said Miller conical. It it's yeah. just Jill Miller's yeah, the anatomical example.
1: poet. Like she's I can't even, you know, she, she she's broke
0: it down. I mean, it's literally a Google search way. Yeah. I gotta forget what it's called right now. Anyways,
1: conical was great. Let's stick with conical. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so, but with the, another thing from like a weightlifting perspective of, of not properly being able to inflate that lower, compartments there your abdomen then you're not going to be able to brace the lumbar spine effectively Oh, so the the lumbar spine that's where you're going to have greatest range of motion and highest likelihood of injury disc herniations and just all the problems manifest around that territory and then you have greater stiffness in the thoracic spine Mm -hmm. you know and so if you're adding even greater amounts of stiffness to an already stiff place Mm -hmm. and kind of passing you kind of cut yourself off from like the the ribs down like the diaphragm down and so now you have this um, almost like it's like a, cl- like a, like a comical, it's like a cartoon body, like a talking face body with no lower, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so then the place that really needs the support the most is kind of hung out to dry because you're not able to add compression. And and so I appreciate you using right. that. You gotta That's lift what shit to right. You gotta lift right.
1: <laughs> but I appreciate you using Stu McGill's words of stiffness, you know, his, his, the spectrum of stiffness, which doesn't make sense to a lot of people because you actually want your body to be stiff when you lift. Mm-hmm. So you want the stiffness because usually stiffness you think oh well stiffness I need a massage. But when you're bracing and when you're doing a good Valsalva, you do want to be able to take a breath that's actually going to create enough intraabdominal pressure and you do want your thoracic cavity to have as much mobility as it can and right now the people I'm seeing and again I'm not a spine expert, but Even with my amateur eyes, what I'm seeing is a lot of thoracic spines that are super stiff, way too much mobility in the bottom of the spine, and then folks who are bracing in a way that's definitely going to lead to injury because their pelvic floors and their diaphragms are not aligned, that zone of opposition is not happening, and there's a lot of unsafe lifting happening.
0: Uh, How does that correlate to upstream or downstream conditions such as like pelvic floor dysfunction?
1: Uh, thank you for asking me because you know like pelvic floor I love pelvic floor so let's just start with the whole idea is that pelvic floor you've got not the small pelvic floor but the whole pelvic floor with if you include the muscles that are attached to it you've got 20 muscles in your pelvic floor and it's much like you know I talk about the diaphragm being like a small pizza in size or a or a frisbee skirt steak the size of a frisbee well right underneath it you have maybe a smaller pizza or a smaller bowl like frisbee and the diaphragm and the pelvic floor should be talking to each other they should be i call them bffs um in my first book because they actually should have a lot of communication between the two of them
0: what's the name of the first book
1: breathe <laughs> i'm obviously very creative
0: <laughs> Did james yeah. prescott just write a book called breathe
1: probably i mean it's not you can't you, you can, know you can
0: say the name same book twice
1: yeah same. you can't you know put a trademark on breathe i mean yeah, right. remember paris hilton That's way right. back it's did, like a line yeah it's, one it's, arrogant
0: jerk picking a word like a line can't. <laughs> who would do it that something like i don't know a line makes more else. sense to me but oh good thank you uh, i feel validated <laughs>
1: Tell them I said so. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: what were you talking about? You got to keep going. Pelvic floor. Yeah, yeah. Go on. So
1: aligning your pelvic floor <laughs> and your. I have your ADHD. Diaphragm.
0: I think that's what my teachers no. told me as the young person. If I didn't, why would I just suddenly blurt out I have ADHD? <laughs> Evidence. <laughs> <laughs> pelvic floor. Pelvic floor. Stay but on track. Stay on People track. are pelvic falling floor. off.
1: Uh <laughs> God damn. <laughs> the sweat it's getting to me in here. Yeah, that's what it's all about. No, 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 it's yeah, good. Sweat out the truth. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Do folks know we're in a sauna?
0: Yeah, we're in a sauna. Okay. We just told them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do all the episodes in a sauna, but if it's in my house, it's in a sauna. Yeah. It's in a sauna? yeah. yeah.
1: So... Short story is that if you're not using your diaphragm, there's going to be things that ripple upwards and downwards as far as dysfunction, and often they're so far away conceptually from the diaphragm that we don't even realize this is a diaphragm dysfunction. Mm. So, could you have pelvic floor problems because you have an inhibited diaphragm? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, I think of it as like a like a tube of toothpaste. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're a closed hydraulic system. You know, so if I change anything in one end end of the tube, then mm-hmm. inevitably I immediately change. Mm-hmm. that same quantity on the other end it just yeah. squishes down so if you're breathing in such a way where you can have that aligned integrated stacked orientation that that i describe the pelvic floor as like a trampoline you know so that trampoline is able to descend mm-hmm. as that diaphragm is descending yeah. and so you're going through that you know the thoracic inlet would ascend at that time you kind of go through this whole pattern yeah. you know where they're stacked yeah. <gasps> You think of like a think of like a piston. <laughs> what did I do? I did, wrong, wrong you did the side. wrong
1: way. But it's okay. Oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But so if, thinking of like a, if you were an engineer, you know, an auto mechanic, and you had a piston, and that piston was driving up and down yeah. through that cylinder, and there was some maybe say excessive hyperlordosis or whatever, the piston was kind of funnily angled. Yeah. It went right. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, you have all this this gas is kind of shooting out one side, and you're you're missing power. Exactly. You know, so from a a, I want to be strong, kick ass perspective, you're not going to be able to get the same amount of power from I want to not pee my pants at some point in my life. You're going to say, well, you're going to be put misaligning pressures and maybe inhibiting muscles that may have been actively engaging throughout your whole life but weren't yeah. because the pressure system was jacked.
1: Or are too activated and therefore too weak activated. because they're too rigid. But that whole that piston analogy of the piston being sort of malaligned is is exactly the soda pop can model that Mary Mastery talks about. Hmm. Is that if you have a soda can and you dent it in the front, you can oh, squish it.
0: I thought I made that up. You thought you made that up? I put that in my book, yeah. Did you really I describe it as a plastic Yeah coke bottle yeah and so when you put the thing and you press it down it collapses yeah. what's, her n- what's her name
1: mary mastery what a bitch oh she's so. how brilliant. old she's probably way older than me huh? Everybody so, is. yes she is god dang
0: minute.
1: it <laughs> <laughs> i hate when that happens i hate when that happens it's mary mastery mastery i can't yeah i
0: can't refute a name like that yeah she's so, she's, she's all she's kinds it. of wonderful coke bottle yeah. analogy mary Mastery, yeah for sure
1: i know yeah so there you go is that you you it does affect your pelvic floor Absolutely. And I just took a class with actually Jill Miller and Tom Myers and found out that your fascia on the, on the arch of your foot is connected to the fascia of your pelvic floor. Yeah. You. yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that.
0: And you look at the the fascia on the bottom, like the, the, the plantar fascia, that, that, that base, that would be the bottom most diaphragm of your body. Mm-hmm. So you could look at the, so going, continuing that conversation of, oh, okay, so I have my, Respiratory diaphragm mm-hmm. that's stacked on top of the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And then you could say thoracic inlet, you could say tentorum cerebelli, the, the kind of the, the trampoline that your brain's sitting on yeah. to run the trampoline analogy. Yeah. But then it's like, well, what the hell's below that? And it's like, well, then you have the the next horizontal connective tissue being yep. your menisci in the knees. Yep. And then the bottom of that is the plantar fascia. And if at any point within that chain, that, that, that stack orientation, any of those are off, then that directly compensates up to the next over the next over the next and then you have this whole (laughs) knot of shit
1: (laughs) spiraling yeah it does it does spiral so
0: what do we do Yeah.
1: yeah so first thing i mean very first thing is to inhale and make sure you're expanding and exhale make sure you're narrowing so i'm known for sort of going for the most important in the most simple way which is that stop bracing your body and even folks who are heavier are bracing You wouldn't believe, you know, folks say, oh, well, they have a bigger body. They're not bracing. Obviously, they're relaxing. And it's not true. Everybody's bracing inside, especially when they're stressed out or unhappy. So the first thing to do is actually stop bracing. And when you inhale, really let your body expand. And when you exhale, give it a little squeeze. Now, there's this idea that the exhale is a recoil. And it's true when you're breathing well but most of us are not breathing well so that the exhale recoil instruction doesn't really work so i want you to try this now is that you inhale expand your body so you are obviously going to give a good horizontal breath
0: Well, i'm being (laughs) cute
1: and then when you exhale you let go and your body goes back to its lean exhale but if you inhale up (laughs) it's hard to do for you and you exhale and just let go that exhale now is not so great now actually exhale all the way out squeeze you'll realize how much air you had if you take that apical exhale you end up with a lot of residual air
0: Hmm. so what should people do now maybe people listening if you're not driving maybe you could like lay down on your back and do some crazy stuff or something
1: So again, I want you on your back to begin with, but I want you to get up and anything you learn while you're on your back, make sure that your body understands it standing up because most of the adjustments we get are, are lying down and then we come back up again, the horizon changes and we go back to our bad habits. So the easiest way to get yourself to start taking a breath that's diaphragmatic is on the floor, put something on your belly, inhale, push that thing away, And then exhale, let it fall and squeeze. Get your belly button closer to your spine. Mm. So, and then stand up and do the same thing and make sure that you have a hip tilt when you do it. So as you inhale, you pop your belly, anterior pelvic tilt, and that's the beginning of a good breath. And I always get, you know, folks saying, well, belly breath isn't a good breath. Yes, a belly breath is a intro breath and it's certainly better than an apical or vertical breath. But the breath that you want is one that has your your abdomen and your thoracic cavity involved so that's why the breathing IQ is a measure of abdominal thoracic respiratory flexibility because we're looking at how much does your belly move and how much do your ribs move but you got to start somewhere And that's just the belly breath. What
0: do you think about using your hands as feedback gizmos to kind of guide the breath? That's something that I'll coach people to do sometimes.
1: I like it when it's in the front of your body under your belly button.
0: What about the side of the ribs? I feel like that's straight out of your book.
1: The only thing about the side of the ribs is that you can still lift your shoulders when you do that. Mm. And sometimes that actually cues you to go into that splay your ribs, grip your belly position.
0: What about low back? Putting your hands in your low back and breathing it back in that territory. Is that whack?
1: it's not whack and and it's actually (laughs) Lady
0: People (laughs) Australia.
1: Is that um breathing through your back is advanced. Like, I will talk about breathing through your back once you have an A breathing IQ and you've got the breath that's low in your body, then we'll go to your back. But too many folks will go, oh, I'm going to take a vertical breather that's that's a thoracically driven chest breather and turn them into a diaphragmatic back breather. That's too big of a leap. You have someone who's been breathing in a dysfunctional way for 10, 20, 30 years. You can't just start talking about back breathing. But yes, if you put your hands there, or if you have someone else, what I do in class is that I'll put people into child's pose and then take my hands and put it in the middle of their body and have them push against my hands on the inhale. And that really helps because all of a sudden you have reference to where you want your ribs to go. And then on the exhale, I actually squeeze them pretty hard to get them to feel like, oh, this is how much I should be narrowing. So the hands on the back is great.
0: Something that I'm quite endlessly fascinated about is the intersection between the mental emotional experience and the you know physical mechanical experience and and so there's kind of a a couple things that I find interesting one I think when the physical body does come into alignment naturally the breath will just express itself in a more full way like the sides start getting access because now finally it's in an orientation where it's just if you put air into that system the bottle fills out all the way around. You know, so I think there is something to like, I think we can get kind of stuck in a certain level of minutia of all these like special exercises and tricks and tips and all that. But, and they can lead you back to the promised land where you do have good orientation from bottom to top, you know, so that is interesting, you know, of just that, that relationship. But then this is a very wandery idea, but can you change a person's physical orientation just through having a conversation over the phone? you know, and say, oh man, I've been really sad or I've been really, you know, angry and I've been holding this. And then all of a sudden we have this talk and I, you know, maybe I, I start to have some type of purgative experience and I like release this trauma in quotations, because it's a very overused word, but, mm-hmm. but trauma in you know, a little way, um, it, it, it comes out of me. And now all of a sudden my orientation where I stand, the way that I, I look and use my eyes, with that mm-hmm. I breathe, almost I have this, like this miraculous change and I didn't even touch anything.
1: So what you let me let me see if i There's just a lot what you're of saying. parts there. That's I apologize okay. for that. No, so no, much. no, but it, it seems to be that if the can the release of trauma then lead to a better biomechanical breath. Yes. Yes. So yes. As long as the person afterwards doesn't then go back to what they know and think as is the right breath. So you might have someone that releases tension and then is able to inhale and exhale in a way that they find more liberating. But then if they go back to their stance of gripping their belly, because that's what feels comfortable and that's what's encouraged culturally, they will brace themselves up again.
0: And perhaps in that situation where a person does create that kind of radical change in, in their, their uh, uh, sense of self, their identity structure, like, who am I? Like, I've always, I'm used to being like the floor mat, <laughs> you know, like, that's who I am. Yeah. And then something <laughs> switches where they're like, no, fuck that. You know, this is who I am. Yeah. In that instance, where their in order for their their breathing patterns to change and their 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 structure to to actually come into greater alignment, there may be a high probability chance that that person might start feeling differently about the relationships in their lives. They might start feeling differently about their work. They might start differently about the paint and the the color of the paint in their house.
1: And think about how disruptive that can be.
0: Very disruptive. Very disruptive. The tendency is to want to kind of creep back to what you knew.
1: Absolutely. Because at least that wasn't making you paint, you know, leave your wife, change the paint in your house, you know, start rethinking your job choice. So, yeah. And if you've been identifying as being that person who... You know, people come in in therapy, people would come in all the time and tell me all their labels. Uh, I have lack of closure, I have daddy issues, I have gluten allergies, I've got not that they're related at all, or making fun of them at all. But like, they'd come in with all these things. And are you ready to leave those things go? Do you actually really want to change? What what kind of attention and Positive, you know, even positive things. Are you getting from all your labels and your illnesses? Yeah. So that's something that you always have to. That's look at. shell as well. you're
0: accustomed to. Yeah. Do you think it's impossible that gluten allergies and all those things are not interrelated? Is it? Would it be possible? I that...
1: don't know enough about. I would actually, you know, throw that over to do a you, nutritionist. Do you know
0: about? Well, I would throw it over more like a psychosomatic <laughs> person. Actually, you know. So if you look at like bi, not bipolar. Sorry, uh, multiple personality disorders, they will have... They can express out... One person will have a rash. One person, like, literally, the the colors of their eyes can change. One person might be allergic to cats, and the other... You know, Lisa's allergic to cats, you know, and Laura's not. Yeah. You know, so I wonder... If perhaps there could be something deeper to the nutritional that's conversation, that's fascinating, as well. right?
1: That's actually a fascinating conversation. If you have multiple personality, who's allergic to what? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: No. that's really interesting. So it's like, who do you believe yeah. you are?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a rough one, man. I would that treating someone like that would be really rough as a psychologist. But I have to tell you, it happens so seldom. So. In my career, I have heard of one person with multiple personality and it wasn't my patient. It was somebody else's patient mm-hmm. at Bellevue Hospital. So the movies would have you think that it happens all the time. It's really super rare.
0: With multiple personality, this is kind of what we were talking about before, Of, of uh, I wonder if there's like some epigenetic conversation around the expression of some type of inconvenient psychological state, whether it's multiple personality disorder yeah. or schizophrenia, or, You know, is that something that... Perhaps many of us kind of have the keys to express out something like that, and then the environment induces it, whether it was abuse or, you know, something like that.
1: Well, what I can tell you is that there are, with every psychiatric or psychological diagnosis, there, they can tell you about prevalence in, in different populations. So, for instance, someone who's schizophrenic, I mean, sorry, somebody who has multiple personality, almost always has extreme abuse in childhood, extreme so that disassociating was necessary in order for them to survive
0: they needed to bail ship yes they needed to vacate.
1: They needed vacate schizophrenia is a brain disease so you can have it in your family and you might have a possibility of developing it however depending on your life and your stressors you might be able to keep it at bay However, with a lot of people who have schizophrenia, it's a brain disease and your first break happens between age 19 and 21 and it's it's really a tragic disease because your brain does actually atrophy and your IQ changes. So, yeah.
0: I always wonder with when we, we put something into a category of like, it seems very final and it seems very almost gratifying to be like, well, this is a brain disease yeah. or this is so you're like... Okay, well I can just shut the fuck up. Yeah. And kind of like it's it's yeah. stamped like we're done. Yeah. You know, and then but behind that I just I just wonder how much wiggle room there is within all of these things that we kind of put into the scientific Oh there's you know tons it's it's a wiggle D, room. What is it the D S M. Yeah, it's like oh, cool, like, like we got the yeah. title, you got you know, yeah. you have got the thing. It's but, done, it's written, it's written right here. This is it. So you're like, okay, fuck, I just I guess. But just I got to think it.
1: about with, with schizophrenia, it used to be said that, you know, had schizophrenia because you had a refrigerator mom she had a cold uterus Mm. so we've kind of come leaps and bounds from that to Mm. understand it as a brain disease Mm. yeah
0: so what were you doing with with people when you were doing when you were therapizing folks
1: when i was therapizing folks so i'd have folks come in with all sorts of problems some were existential some were you know about angst about some particular thing some were anxiety disorders learning disabilities sort of your whole gamut of of different types of problems um I tend to.
0: What is your title? Are you like what's clinical like psychologist? Clinical psychologist, yeah. and yeah. that turned into to breath worker.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: What a great thing! Well, <laughs> It's like you're going back to like like a, a like a root. You're going to like nuts and bolts.
1: Yeah, you can't solve an anxiety disorder truly, and this I might get you know some heat for this, but you can't truly, truly solve an anxiety disorder without integrating the breath as well.
0: I would I would just say they're both one and the same. I think I think what's like it's different cultures speaking different languages all saying the same sentence you know so it's like we're all saying i don't know whatever calm a line meant to be you know to to boast my own my own branding <laughs> we're all saying a line it's a line in 50 <laughs> different languages <laughs> whatever we're saying like like you know good orientation but it would one sentence bunch of different languages and you know we can kind of bicker over who's saying it right yeah. or the meaning of this and that but then yeah. when you all in the end of the day it's like holy shit the yoga teacher and the osteopath yeah. and the doctor and the yeah. acupuncturist and the clinical mm-hmm. psychologist like we're all doing the same thing <laughs> crazy <laughs> you know, it's kind of like yeah. religion yeah. so you so did you do you feel like you got greater results out of people through by just focusing on like the nuts and bolts breathing patterns
1: adding it to the therapy so now you were talking about your problems fixing them from sort of the nervous system biomechanical biochemical place and then possibly with medications as well because sometimes medications are good so if you actually treated them comprehensively they got better hmm. crazy crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. when well, they were lined
0: when are when exactly <laughs> you when are medications appropriate
1: one of the reasons i mean one of the times that i say medication is appropriate is when you are trying to learn and it is learning to feel better but you don't remember what it's like so for instance if i have someone who comes in and everyone is anxious in their family they don't remember never having been anxious and they're trying to learn to be less anxious, they don't even have a reference point. So I strongly recommend that they take an anti-anxiety so that they can actually know what they're trying to feel like so they can recognize it and then taper off of it if that's their goal. But I see medications often as that is... Let's get you to be able to recognize where you want to get to because you haven't even seen it before. When it comes to things like depression, is that a medication might be right at certain times when otherwise all you're going to do when you come to therapy is come in and talk about the symptoms. So if you're coming in and you haven't slept and you've gained weight and you can't think straight and you're irritable is that those are the things you're going to talk about in session. If I can get those things to go away with a medication, then we can actually talk about the depression itself, things that led to the depression, how to set up a system for when and if you get off your medications to keep yourself from getting depressed. So it actually lets you talk about the important things.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I feel like you'd be an interesting person to ask I'm kind of biased and somewhat I've I've like drank the Kool-Aid that the mind and body are are just one interconnected, you know, it's like a double helix, they're just wrapped around each other, (laughs) you can't untie it. You know, so if I pull in any part of your, your mental emotional experience, then I'll, you know, pull your shoulders in a direction, your diaphragm and all of that. Is there, from your perception, is it possible to have a, a perfectly well oriented, integrated, aligned body and also be internally a complete wreck, or is and, and vice versa.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah.
0: What I mean, if it like? is
1: purely, you can have someone come in and they're eating well, they haven't had trauma, they love their jobs, all these other things, but they have panic attacks, uh, or they have, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, or something, something of the sort of whatever the depression they have is. It can be completely separate if it is truly just genetics or just biological like your your neurotransmitters are off
0: is there any such thing as being just genetics and just biological obviously you could say yes because that's kind of what you're Ah, you're
1: you know what yes except for we it's really hard to tell like sometimes we spend all this time trying to figure out and i'll have patients come in and saying well can you tell me how much biological this is because that'll help me decide whether i take medications or not and you can't that's so hard to unravel why even do that to me it's like why spend so much time trying to unravel that why don't we just try the medications for a couple weeks and if you feel better then possibly that part that's feeling better from the medications did have (laughs) a physical neurochemical part to it and now we can start fixing things from another angle and then possibly get you off the medications later on but sometimes people want to try to pick it apart and find out first like Life is short. Let's just go in there and do as much as we can, as fast as we can, and get you living.
0: So what would you recommend for people to start gaining a relationship with more effective breathing in their daily life? Like, what's where, where should people start out at?
1: So the first thing is to realize, because your brain actually has to believe that what you're trying to make it do is good. Mm. Um, we're really stubborn often very dumb beings, is that if we don't truly understand what the benefit is of doing something, we won't do it. And you know this probably better than anyone, is that you can tell someone that this stretch, this movement, this whatever you're doing, doing this differently is going to be good for you, both short-term and long-term. Getting them to do it can be really hard. So you almost have to treat your brain like a child of, this is going to be good for you, and let's find the reason that it's going to understand and and be motivated by that. Mm. So if I say, and this is, <laughs> this is very simplistic, but it hits home, is look at any animal on the planet. Like, seriously, right now, like, let's look at your dog. Let's go over to that fishbowl and look at that fish and watch it breathe. Kind of crazy. We're not that far removed from how animals are built, right? The head on the top, the feet on the bottom, the lungs in the middle, digestive system. Why are we breathing up and down? When all animals on the planet are breathing where they expand in the middle and contract in the middle where the biggest part of the lungs are. Hmm. What have we done that we've gone so astray from that, even though our design is that the biggest part of our lungs is in the middle of our body? So when you start having little aha moments like that, like, well, yeah, that is kind of weird. I don't breathe that way. I wonder why. What does that do? And I know that, for instance, one of the, I tend to do things in a, a very tactile or a very visual way. So I'll have people put your hands in front of you, you, interlink your fingers, and you're making like a little dome in front of you. On the inhale, your diaphragm flattens, and I use that word specifically, flattens, and it flattens out and it tries to push your ribs open. So imagine it inside of your body. It's trying to push your ribs open, if, if you let it. Right. On the exhale, the sides of the diaphragm come together and you exhale. So inhale, it flattens out your pinky fingers and your thumbs try to push your ribs open. So this is what's happening when you're breathing well, is that your diaphragm flattens what's directly underneath the diaphragm.
0: All your good your stuff. Your guts. Yeah.
1: Right? That second brain is right there. So, if you're breathing well with your diaphragm, every single time you inhale, your guts get massaged. Kind of cool, right? Every single time you inhale and exhale well, the lymph is getting pushed out of your body. So, you're detoxing with your own God given awesome detox machine called the diaphragm. So, there you go is that this is happening so you don't think you detox well are you using your diaphragm you have digestive problems are you using your diaphragm so going back to like specifically oh I didn't know it did this so oh yeah my guts are right underneath oh it does support peristalsis and massage my belly and then you have folks coming back after they start breathing diaphragmatically and saying I don't have acid reflux anymore or hey my lower back feels a lot better well, that's really interesting because your diaphragm attaches to your lower back.
0: Or I feel more confident. Or I feel exactly just more at home in my yeah. my life and my yeah. relationships and my all of that.
1: My mantras are working. My aromatherapy is finally started kicking in. I'm feeling alive.
0: Do you say mantra? Is it mantra? That's East Coast of shit. Is it really mantra? Mantra,
1: mantra, mantra? <laughs> <laughs>
0: honey, you're doing know his mantras again. You was, got the crystals. Those damn mantras. <laughs> damn mantras. Satanic mantras. <laughs> I have a client, friend, person that he does not like yoga because he's concerned about like worshiping deities and things. It's like I satanic. I'm like, I'm like, like. No, dude like you sitting and breathing is not worshiping deities. okay relax.
1: I did a workshop once <laughs> I did a workshop and it was for um, first responders out in like Michigan or something and yeah. I had some cattle ranchers of I don't I'm not sure why we had cattle ranchers there, but cattle they came ranchers over. are some
0: of the most important people on the earth no big deal. Depending upon you know what type of ranch they're doing, but if yeah. you're doing a regenerative farm, it's one of I think the most valuable things you can do to be a humanitarian. Interesting. Yeah, I did a whole podcast with a woman called Anya Fernald recently, showing the Bell Campo. Oh, nice! And talking about like I guess you'd say like undesertifying yeah. landscapes that yeah. would be fringe places where it's like, yeah. oh, it's kinda like on the edge of, of collapse and disaster, yeah. which just becomes like a desert scape. Yeah. And then when water comes down onto that desert scape, it just event immediately evaporates back up. But if you get those those cattle out there and there's those ruminants, those grazing animals, they start to create a little micro ecosystem on top there. And then you start the perennials. Sorry, this is no completely this is fascinating. Weird. But this is, this is yeah. we could tie this back to the diaphragm breathing, I'm sure. Skirt but steak. Skirt, exactly, skirt steak. <laughs> You know? <laughs> Do you know the sois is the <laughs> in a cow Wait, so is in the human that would be the flaming I believe really yeah filet and the cows so the so the grass starts to grow up and those perennial plants being the grasses they go down like something like 30 feet which it literally starts to tie that whole space together it really like bolts it down to the ground and then you know that water can drift down and, into the um, underground rivers and all that stuff it gives like access so it starts to fill it literally just by having grazing animals on the land wow. as long as you're doing it correctly yes. you want to circulate them so they just yeah. don't just eat up all the grass yeah. and then be in a desert themselves, you push them around. It's one of the healthiest things we can do to repair the crust of earth. Do you earth. have
1: to push them? Can you just call them gently? You
0: can, yeah, you'd, you'd, uh, you can kind of get, you know, what's, what do what we, slap, you, slap them in the ass? Yeah, you slap, can slap them in the ass. You know, no, that's a nice, <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you kind of slap them around a little bit, but they like it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the Who key to like good, the good sexual relationship, actually, I think. <laughs> key to good sexual relationship, tell me your thoughts on this, is,
1: we're taking a very deep turn. <laughs> you want to
0: be, on the edge of danger but while feeling safe so there's a dynamic tension there
1: absolutely my like
0: motorcycles are sexy you went and sell my motorcycle yes. it's now sold so it's not mine anymore and you literally like i you got, got, goosebumps. got goosebumps i know like, oh, it was terrible so dangerous, I, know, so oh, dangerous. I, like it. I have a you know i have a history
1: <laughs> of triumph so yeah so but um is that true but the history as a, la- or the- as a
0: lady no, so, so so the you want to yes, feel in danger, but like but okay, safe. he's got the he's got the helm, he's he's, he's got yeah. control. So that he perfect has a helmet balance, for me, <laughs> right? Well, I meant like the boat helm, but so it's that perfect knife edge where if I go too far and I feel oh he's out of control and dangerous, yeah. not sexy. Yeah. If I go too far to the other side of the spectrum, he's like okay, he's very boring, very safe, not sexy. Yes, that perfect yes point right in the middle. That's and hopefully like hopefully it's not a
1: point because then it's just too elusive. Like hopefully it's. You know get a couple inches but esther perel does who's you know my, one of my favorite sex therapists or sex educators has a great talk about that about how we crave safety in a relationship but then the safety makes us bored but the chaos doesn't you know is can be titillating
0: but I then like
1: yeah It's just because it has the word tit in it, come on, right? This is the safety. So the whole combination, the balance of things being dangerous, but, you know, you have to have safe words. That's just the end. You just have to have safe words. It's a
0: good safe word. So that's, but I mean, I think everything exists within that dynamic tension, including the body. I'm just trying to write it back. But so you want to go all the way through the full oscillation of the whole thing. I mean, I'd like to keep on going down the whole like sexual (laughs) conversation, but it seems like we're coming to the end of the thing anyway. So I wonder, could we draw some type of connection between that dynamic tension in your body of feeling the edge of danger, but while feeling safe? I mean, that's where all growth exists.
1: You need a little bit of danger. That's the to highest level of growth. Yeah. If
0: you're not doing some public speaking thing that makes you want to poop your pants a little bit yeah. like you're, or whatever your yeah. metaphoric public yeah. speaking is, yeah. Um, then you're probably not growing. You're probably dying.
1: So the vulnerability that changing your breath causes may be that growth moment, because I know that I'll tell someone, unbrace your body and rethink of the breath as inhale, expand, exhale, narrow, because usually we're told exhale, let go. And that's the worst advice you can give someone. Exhale, let go makes you soften and you actually want to narrow. So I think maybe in challenging someone to say, let's take something that you think you do really well, that you're hoping that at least you breathe right and challenge yourself with that, is that you actually don't. And it can be better and it can make massive, wonderful consequences on your health, both your mental health and your physical health. I don't know. Help me out there.
0: No, I I'm like trying it. to
1: get it to feel more dangerous. <laughs> I know.
0: Let's make this shit dangerous. Well, don't do it when I'm you're driving your motorcycle. <laughs> you're driving the motorcycle. I don't have one anymore. All right. We should wrap this bitch up. Where, where do people go? People should uh, get your new book.
1: Yeah. Breathing for Warriors. Breathing for Warriors. I loved writing it. I loved writing it. It may be the best thing I've ever done.
0: Really? Yeah. yeah. Why?
1: Yeah. I. It was like heart, soul, guts, sweat, tears, like all that stuff. It was really researched it tremendously did a million really it felt like a million it was about a hundred interviews so much science so much practical i really yeah i really put my heart and soul into this one nearly lost my mind but mm. i i love it i love that book cool yeah
0: i love it and people what social media where, where's the best place to if they want to um, say what's up
1: i think um my instagram is dr Belisa.
0: dr Beliza. Dr. Belisa. and where is this from Argentina. I, no. Chile. I'm
1: Cubana. Salvador,
0: oh, Cubana. I'm Serbian wow. and Cuban. Oh Serbian yeah. and Cuban. Serbian and Cuban. What a combination. I know. Do you talk Serbian talk?
1: I do not speak serbo Croatian, but I speak Spanish. That was my first language.
0: That's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, muchísimo gracias.
1: Oh, gracias por <laughs> haberme tenido en tu podcast. <laughs>
0: um, we'll have to do this. Again, this is number two. People want to continue going deep into the, the breathing world. We did another one years ago. Our okay. first introduction, introduction. Hace, dos hace dos años hace dos años fue dos años, yeah. ay Dios mio ay oh, yes, mio alright <laughs> thanks for all having right. me babe this of was course great. I enjoy it what a fun conversation alright thank you all for tuning in uh, if you loved that por favor share it out in the world and uh, on to the next see you next week pow Thank you so much for tuning in to that episode with my homegirl Belisa. If you guys enjoyed any specific parts, please tag me at Align Podcast or Belisa Fronich on the Instagram with your favorite insights. That is a great tool for you to actually remember specific parts. So that's something that I will regularly do. I'll share in my Instagram stories or what have you, things that I find interesting, worth sharing, and um, things that I want to kind of make more permanent in my memory. So great tool, and it is helpful for supporting the podcast if that is something that you give a dang about and lastly if you are a person who experiences some stiffness or rigidity in your hips or perhaps a little bit of low back pain uh, or stiffness in and around your your back and neck in general we put together a really beautiful little masterclass on how to unwind those patterns we break down i think it's maybe six or so specific exercises that would be very very helpful for unwinding those patterns that are inevitable if you are a modern person sitting in chairs staring at screens doing all those things so you can break that down learn all about it by just going to alignpodcast.com. And and uh, you could go to forward slash masterclass to get taken right to it uh, also you could find the link for that is in my bio at alignpodcast podcast on the instagram Alrighty. I think that is enough. Uh, Thank you guys once again for checking out the masterclass. It is super well edited and uh, it's got a lot of vital information. So I'm really proud of that. And it's totally free. So got nothing to lose. Got your whole life of healthy hips and spine to gain. Thank you guys. Once again, I will talk to you next week.